I'm Manoush Samarodi, and this is WNYC's Note to Self. I think I treat my phone as sort of this, like, friend, like a best friend. The internet, by and large, drains me. The show where you and I search for balance in the digital age. We've had moral panics about new technologies for centuries. Yeah, your brain's going to feel different. And figure out how to manage modern life. This week, how reading on a screen is different than reading on paper, and what that means for your brain. A big update to one of our most popular episodes. We're revisiting this issue because of an email from listener Catherine Cronin. She wrote in complaining about how she can't sit and read for more than 15 minutes at a time without feeling the urge to jump up and look at her phone. And actually, dozens of you have written in with similar frustrations. Not being able to get through a novel or even just a long New Yorker article. And that's also what was happening to Mike Rosenwald. One night I was reading the new Laurie Moore short story collection and I found myself sort of jumping and skipping around much like I do when I'm scrolling through my Twitter feed or Facebook feed. He couldn't focus. The words weren't coming fast enough. Mike found himself skimming something that he really wanted to read. And it occurred to me, you know, I'm starting to do this a lot. So I called a couple friends and I said, hey, do you notice... You know, that when you're reading, you have a harder time sort of paying attention. And they're like, oh, my God, this is totally my life. Mike is actually a reporter at The Washington Post. He wanted to understand why he and his friends were struggling with something that up until recently had come pretty naturally. In the old days, before the Internet, for the most part, reading was a linear event. You looked at a magazine, you looked at a book, you looked at a menu, you looked at whatever, and you pretty much read it uninterrupted, and you could flip the pages. And that's the way reading has gone, you know, since they were writing on walls and caves. It wasn't really until the internet came along that we started doing nonlinear reading. And that's this idea that it's very easy to jump around. There are hyperlinks. There's all sorts of things sort of flashing at you. So here I am, I'm sitting here, I'm talking to you, we're having this lovely conversation about reading, and my Twitter screen is giving me a constant flow of information. See, Mike's brain, and maybe yours, has been giving him a hard time. It finds skimming so much easier. So that's what I think is the problem here, because there are things in our lives, whether they be novels, short stories, mortgage documents, whatever, that actually need our slow reading. Slow reading. Cracking open a book, stopping and thinking about a sentence... Maybe going back and reading it again, giving each word its chance to wow or impress or educate you. But here's the question. Is it possible to be a deep and thoughtful reader, but also an efficient online skimmer? Why do Mike and his friends, and me, feel like there's a battle going on between those two skills in our brains? I'm Marianne Wolf. I'm the director of the Center for Reading and Language Research at Tufts University. Marianne is the author of Proust and the Squid, the story and science of the reading brain. But her groundbreaking book was published seven years ago. And as we've just heard, reading has changed a lot since then. So when we reached Marianne, she was hard at work on an update. But unlike Mike Rosenwald, Marianne did not have her Twitter feeds streaming by in front of her. 
I'm perched above Lake Annecy, and it's in the embrace of the French Alps. <laughs> so the reality is that our research is beginning to show us that there are various aspects of the reading brain circuit that are changing along with the amount of time that we are spending on the Internet and digital reading. The human brain is, in fact, adapting almost too well to the particular attributes or characteristics of Internet reading. Okay. I mean, that is the key here, right? Yay, brain, you can adapt. But whoa, you're adapting too well to the pace of the Internet. Marianne Wolf is saying, use your ability to slow read or lose your ability to slow read. That's my real worry. I worry that we will not use our most preciously acquired deep reading processes because we're just given too much stimulation. So I know people listening to this are going to say, well, so tell me what to do. Prescribe. <laughs> what, do you, what do you do? Do you know, Manoush, one of the most amazing experiments I've ever done of late was on myself. But it was a rather disquieting and, and actually emotional experience for me. I went back and I reread one of the most beloved books, which was a very difficult book by Herman Hesse called The Glass Bead Game. And Manoush, I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't slow my reading down to really allocate sufficient attention to what is basically a very difficult and demanding textbook. I'm sorry to say that I had changed along with everyone else. Now, here's the real problem, and I believe the solution. What I found was that by forcing myself every day for no less than two weeks to read and read again this novel, I finally came back to myself. But I had to learn how to read. It was as if to read in my old way. And what about people younger than us who have no reference point, who have no place to go back to, who, who, who may not ever have felt that deep paper reading experience? Ah, Manush, you're putting your finger on my most worrisome concern. And that is not your brain and mine. So my real worry is on formation of the young's deep reading processes. That takes time. It takes actually years to form the ability to put inference and background knowledge and analogy and, and epiphany all together in a child's brain. I think the evidence someday will be able to show us that what we're after is a discerning biliterate brain. A biliterate brain. Making sure everyone knows that there are two different ways your brain can read. And then making sure we take the time to build and then maintain those two different ways of reading. That's going to take some wisdom on our part. And it's also going to take people like you, Manoush, and I being almost like canaries and saying, pause, pause, society. Think about what you are doing, you as adults and you as teachers of the next generation. That was Dr. Marianne Wolf, And I have to say that because of this interview, 
and because he loves curling up with paperbacks, I have decided not to give my seven-year-old son any ebooks, even though he did get a login and an online summer reading list from the school librarian. I mean, I just feel like digital reading can come later. It will inevitably come later, right? In a minute, what the research says about taking notes on a laptop versus writing longhand, and more about finding the right balance between convenience and deeper thinking. Last week, our episode was about plagiarism detection software called Turnitin. We got lots of comments from teachers all over the country, all with very different experiences. Natalie in Chicago was totally impatient with my sympathy for students. She wrote, I have busted blatant copy-pasting plagiarizers, and often I don't even need to use Turnitin because students' writing will suddenly shift from bland and disorganized to coherent and insightful. Sympathy for the students? How about us teachers, Manoush? Oh, Natalie, you're totally right. I cannot imagine, actually, how hard it is to teach kids about plagiarism and how bad a job they do trying to trick you probably a lot of the time. Listeners, there are often some fiery discussions happening on our episode page online. It's how we know that we're doing something right here, don't you think? Chime in with your approval or take me to task at notetoselfradio.org. Or even better, record your comment using the audio app on your smartphone and email it to us at notetoself at wnyc.org. That's what listener Peg Ackerman did. She has a suggestion for the makers of plagiarism detection software. Hi, note to self and Manoush. I'm a uh, professor of communication and journalism at Seattle Pacific University, and I love Turnitin. What I find is it really helps in my marking. I'm faster with Turnitin, and I can give more feedback. So it's a terrific tool. The thing that I wish existed on Turnitin was an ability to figure out images. My students have a really hard time with copyright and images, and you can't just snag something off the internet of photographer's work. Huh, maybe that should be the next step, Peg. Thanks for the advice for the software makers. Listeners, take a page from Peg's book, record that voice memo, send it in, note to self at wnyc.org. We're back. I'm Anoush Samarodi, and this is Note to Self, the podcast about finding balance in the digital age. And we're talking about reading, how reading on screens is changing our brains, the way that we think. And now you tell me, do you remember things better if you read them on paper? Because there's this really cool new European study. It came out in August. Anne Mangan of Norway's Stavanger University. She was the lead researcher. And what she did was she had 50 adults read a mystery short story. Half of the people read the paperback version. The other half read the story on a Kindle e-reader. And afterwards, they all filled out a questionnaire. And emotionally, they all reacted pretty much the same to the story. But there was a really big difference when it came to answering questions about what happened when in the story. The Kindle readers performed significantly worse on plot measure when they were asked to place 14 events that happened in the story in the correct order. 
So researchers think there's just something about paper that's this tactile experience that helps us remember the chronology of a story when something happens. I find this so interesting. I mean, I completely know where to find something in the back of a book. I I remember if it's like at the top left-hand corner of the page and I can get back to it. And I just cannot do that on my tablet. I obviously have not developed fully (laughs) my biliterate brain. And I've got another recent study for you. Researchers at Princeton and UCLA have proved something else that I had always suspected was true, that taking notes by hand is actually better for retaining information. So laptop note takers, it turns out, tend to transcribe lectures rather than process the facts and then reframe them in their own words. Because it's not just about writing down verbatim. They're actually having to do some filtering in the process of taking notes. That's what I want them to learn. Laura Noren is an adjunct professor at the Stern School of Business at New York University, and she does not allow laptops in her classroom. Not because of any study, just because that policy seems to help her students in other ways, too. Here she is on WNYC's The Takeaway. Over the course of a semester, their ability to participate in discussions in class goes up dramatically. At first, they're very quiet. They don't know how to interact with each other. They only talk to me. And as the course goes on, they can go student to student better. And I think that would not happen if laptops were open. Laura says she's not a crusader or anything. She just wants her students to get the most out of her class. The reading on paper thing, the writing with longhand, I mean, you know, you're not really surprised by these studies, right? To me, they seem kind of confirmation that if you feel like a device or technology is messing with you, you might actually be onto something way before a researcher can prove it. Now, look, I'm not saying be paranoid here. I'm just saying listen to yourself. Like how Louis C.K. explained why he quit Twitter on The Opie Show. It didn't make me feel good. It made me feel bad instead. (laughs) So I stopped doing it. Maybe your choice can't be that easy. Maybe you operate the corporate Twitter account for Chase Bank or something. But maybe you're hoping, like I am, that at least with reading and taking notes, technology will soon find better ways to bring convenience and the best of our brains together. I mean, for example... Tablet styluses, styli, whatever they're called, do you use them? Why haven't they caught on? I never see people using a stylus to take electronic notes. And what about the best way to read? I wanted to hear what the founder of Brain Pickings had to say. If you're not familiar with this blog, it has incredibly insightful posts about books that you can only find at your local library these days and the latest bestsellers that you could download right this second. Founder Maria Popova gently reminded me to be patient and put the whole tablet versus paper conundrum in perspective. I think the most important thing about all of these discussions is to acknowledge the fact that printed books are half a millennium at least old, you know, counting from Gutenberg. And tablets and that, you know, it's like not even a half century. It's it's just a decade, really. And and it's a very young medium. And I my hope is that its imperfections would be addressed to such a point that the medium would no longer be of any difference. Paper or pixel, it won't matter. Maria sees a future where all that matters are the stories. 
just to wrap up here in the present, this is how our friend from the beginning of the show, Washington Post reporter Mike Rosenwald, now manages his reading. You know, if there are books that I'm reading that I really love, I'll buy them on the Kindle so I can read them commuting or whatever. But then I, I actually go and buy the print copy. It's kind of expensive, Mike. Okay, here's my technique. If there's a long article that I really want to get down and dirty in, I will print it out at work and then write my notes in the margins as I read it in bed. And then I inevitably will misplace that precious paper that I have printed out. Yeah. How do you manage your reading habits? Do you have any special tricks? Is it books on paper? Is it news on your phone? Or like a weird special system of highlighting and note-taking in Evernote or on Pocket? If you've got this figured out, please, please share the knowledge. Tell us anywhere you like. On Facebook or at notetoselfradio.org. Record that voice memo. Email it to us at notetoself at wnyc.org. Or hey, in the spirit of this episode write us a letter. We're at 160 Varick Street, New York, New York, 10013. That would be fun. I would like to get some mail. All right, let's wrap up. Note to self is Alex Goldmark, Ariana Tobin, and Andrew Dunn, and me, Manoush Zamarodi. Thanks so much for listening. I look forward to doing this again with you next week. <laughs>